How do we tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast. I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and with me today is Michelle Naray. Michelle Naray is a professional speaker, consultant, creator of Inside Out Storytelling, and the founder of Mo Mondays, a monthly storytelling event that pre-pandemic was in 16 cities. Michelle has helped thousands of individuals and organizations to drill down to their core message, become category leaders, and craft more impactful stories to become more effective leaders, salespeople, coaches, teachers, trainers, speakers, and influencers of all types. That's a lot of people. The laundry list goes on and on. (laughs) (laughs) He also uses the inside-out approach to differentiate position and brand organizations in the market. Now, I know Michelle because back in the early 2000s, he gave me my first quote-unquote real job outside of university by hiring me at his boutique marketing agency called The Essential Message. Michelle mentored me and provided me with a ton of experience that allowed me to leapfrog ahead in my career. And years later, I spoke at Mo Mondays, in which I delivered a speech that catapulted my business and brand. Many of the concepts Michelle taught me remain so relevant and timeless, I still noticing notice myself using them all the time. So I'm really excited to explore them again and share them with everyone listening. Michelle, it's so lovely to see you. Thank you for being here. Camille, it is an absolute pleasure and honor that you invited me. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. So we were just saying before we hit record um, that, you know, it's been kind of an interesting um, experience for me kind of looking back thinking about some of the concepts you taught me and just ways that we worked together way way back then and how they continue to come up in my work. And we thought, why not have a conversation where we explore kind of what was going on back then, what I learned, what some of these concepts were, what your journey has been. Um, And in fact, Michelle, I thought maybe we could start just with you in the beginning, because you've explored storytelling a lot in different ways throughout your life. You've been in advertising, written communications, speaking, comedy, music. So when and how did you first get interested in storytelling? Like from the very beginning in your life, do you, when did that happen? <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that would be a stretch. Although I think as kids, we all love storytelling. Storytelling is really one of the most, you know, innate things uh, to the human experience and how we communicate, how we learn. I mean, you you probably know some of the neuroscience around storytelling. You know, we've we've it's one of the things that anthropologists and neuroscientists agree that. Uh, just as important as our opposable thumbs, for example. Mm. But that doesn't answer your specific question. I I have to tell you, I got interested in storytelling in stages. Mm. And 
probably the first stage was as a, a, a copywriter in in an ad agency and then having my own ad agency that you were a part of and uh, and and realizing you know what happened was my my clients they told me Michelle how did you get to our differentiation so quickly how did you lock on to that how did you kind of like figure that out so and I, for the longest time i would just shrug my shoulders i'd say i don't know it's it's just what i do huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well i mean there there yeah i always tell people if if you ever hear yourself saying something like that very dismissive mm-hmm. but somebody else is commenting on it then there's probably something about the way you do that that is unique and special but anyway right. I, I I digress again. Um, what I discovered uh, in my quest of just being curious, like it's really all driven by curiosity mm-hmm. about what, why somebody did something, why a company did something, how it happened, what prompted it, et cetera. So I didn't realize it until much later that really what I was asking were all the elements of a story. Hmm. And what I what really made me twig to that, that's an interesting expression. I don't know whether I twig to that, but anyway, um, is that what I realized is that when I got to the real heart of the story, to use one of your words, Camille, when I really got to the heart of it, or when I really no, I said that wrong. When I really when I really got to the heart of the differentiation, I said, I think this is it. Mm-hmm. That what I discovered was that there was always a story behind it. Mm. And that happens so often that I, I realized, of course, as a copywriter, professional communicator, really, the, the, I realized the best way to communicate the point of differentiation was through story and was through this thing that we now call, well, we called it then too, but now it's more pervasive. We call it the origin story. Mm-hmm. How and why did you come up with it? And it always involved a personal struggle and a personal desire to uh, solve something. And it is that, and very often it's a struggle that starts when we're little kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be. I'm not driven by that, but yeah. very often it, it does. And 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 I think you saw that in your case. And what happens is... We become experts at solving that problem because we're dealing with it our entire lives. And whatever coping mechanisms we come up with, they work for us. They don't work for everybody, but there are enough other people in the world that they work for as well. Right. And that's, that's, that's a classic story. You know, it's, it's, it's the struggle. It's the internal struggle. It's the external struggle. It's the trying to implement a solution and muddling your way through it. It's, it's all about falling deeper and deeper into a hole until you can't take it anymore. And, and it's painful enough that it makes you really want to do something. And then it's some insight that you have in a moment of darkness (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is, um, I mean, this is something that comes up a lot in, in my work too. And and truly it is a, a, a really good go-to if you are trying to talk about what you do to be able to think about why do I do it and really where did that begin? So 
for you, I guess that's my question for you. What was your origin story? Why did you get into if copywriting was your first foray or um, into this world of storytelling? What Hmm. nudged you into that? Well, you know, I I mean, it, it took me a long time and it took me sitting down with a very, very good trusted friend to figure that out. And, you know, who, who is it that Steve Jobs said, uh, we we can't see the future, we can only see how the dots connect in, mm-hmm. in hindsight and retrospect. And he helped me piece together. At that time, I knew I already had the company called The Essential Message. This was in the early 2000s. And, um, we're trying to figure out, and I just said to him, I said, Stuart, I, I know I do something pretty special because other my clients tell me I do, uh, but I don't know what it is, really. Mm-hmm. And it was just sitting down with him, uh, and you probably remember Stuart too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it, was, it was sitting down with him and having these conversations in which he kind of activated his own curiosity. Mm-hmm. to help me get past. And we kind of put together a bunch of dots. Uh, one of them was the fact that, you know, my mother was a, a Holocaust survivor. And so I was always keenly aware of, of my background uh, and, and the background of a, a whole group of people who were persecuted uh, f- for no other reason than who they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, their ethnic um label and i grew up in a you know in and i mean the, the the longer story is you know my parents came to montreal they 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 met after the war in paris in an elevator no less that's where i learned the value of a <laughs> we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they they moved to Montreal because they spoke French and they 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 thought they would speak the same kind of French, which they don't. And there's some couple of funny stories around that. But you know, they had to decide whether to send me to the English school, which which was the or the the Hebrew school because I was Jewish, but that was expensive. My parents didn't have a lot of money. The French school, which was in Montreal, you know, um, kind of sep- categorized by by along religious lines more or less, and mm. so it would have had to have been the Roman Catholic school, the Catholic school, or send me to the 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 you know the public school, which was Protestant school, but it was English. And, you know, in my little community, kind of, it was weird, you know, we, we grew up saying the Lord's Prayer uh, and, and pledging allegiance to the Queen in the morning, and nobody thought anything of it, even though like 30 of the 32 kids in my class were Jewish too. Mm-hmm, right. But here I was, a little Jewish kid, a little French Jewish kid in a French Catholic province mm-hmm. in an English Protestant school. Didn't matter what group of kids I hung out with, I was always the odd kid out. I was always the kid that was, they didn't know what to do with me. Mm. And I was an extremely shy little boy, extremely shy. And so you might think a little shy boy like I was would do everything in his little power to blend in and not stand out. 
But I think it's because, and, and that's why I mentioned my mother's experience as being a Holocaust survivor. I think it was like that kind of played on me in the back of my mind. You know, so I, I made a little decision in my little head. It says, I'll never be ashamed of who I am. Mm. So to my French friends, I spoke English. My English friends, I spoke French. And outside my little community, I never made any, you know, pretense about not being being about being Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I think I carried that with me, that little awareness. And what happened was I ended up not only being very clear about who I was, but also being very curious about who other people were right. and being very acceptant and tolerant about what they bring to the party and how they're different. And 30 years later, my clients tell me, Michelle, how did you figure out our difference so quickly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm making this up in my head or there really is something to that kind of journey where this this awareness prepared me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and allowed you to to practice it over and mm-hmm. over again for years as well. I mean, I a part of me also wonders if sometimes too when when we feel like the odd one out. I mean, I say this because I think <laughs> it's it's maybe I'm maybe I'm reflecting my own experience onto you. But sometimes, if we feel like we're the odd ones out as well, it can be a I don't want to say defense mechanism, but it can feel safer to really just get curious about the people in front mm-hmm. of you and want to learn mm-hmm. about them. You know, yeah. I, I feel like I I too have a lifelong curiosity and genuine interest in other people and love to know what their stories are, what their history is behind who they are and what they do and why they do it. Um, And I I don't know if it's just pure curiosity or if it also like that sometimes will feel almost a little bit safer, but the more you, the more you do it and spend time in that, the more that becomes a superpower. It's a, it's definitely a defense mechanism. Uh, but you know, you mentioned you mentioned superpower, and uh, I would say that in every case that I have seen, every example, every person that I've worked with, every company that I've worked with, the superpower is always it always comes from the insecurity, the vulnerability, mm. the weakness. Mm, right. Yeah, it that is so true. And often I find this in, in um, w- whether someone is trying to find the story that really defines them and their business and is maybe a, a key piece of content on their website or something, or if it's yet just another story that they can tell to express an idea or a perspective or something about themselves and their lives and work. I'm so often looking for for those because th- those more vulnerable, more human moments or the the why, the personal background behind 
the belief or the passion, why, why they see things that way or why they care about it so much. And it's this, I find it's a, it's like a dance in, in often kind of trying to gently and uh, kind of carefully draw this out of people when I'm interviewing people um, to, to write their stories or, you know, help them express their stories in various contexts, especially if I don't know them that well. And I'm just kind of poking around the moment, maybe somebody tears up or, you know, they, you kind of, you see a little bit of emotion in their face or their expression. I'm like, okay, got it. Whatever comes next, this is going to be the story. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, that's, you see it in their faces, you know, yeah. and, uh, it's sometimes it, it, most of the time it's not as overt as tearing up or something like that, but you you know, you hit on it. You talk about poking around and I talk about, I'm just fishing. Mm. Like I'm just fishing. I'm, I'm dropping my line in different parts of the lake and, and I'm asking innocent questions or I think they're innocent. I think I'm being driven by just, you know, random, almost random, but right. I am, I'm, I know what I'm looking for. I right. just don't necessarily articulate it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, in sharing that story about uh, your mom and, and growing up, and thank you for sharing that, by the way, it reminds me of something that I knew I wanted to to bring up on, on in our discussion today, which is about the event. You, you probably know what I'm going to say already. It's about the <laughs> the speaking event that you had for New Canadians. Um, and uh, do, do you... It was this was a pivotal moment for me. Should I tell the story from my perspective or get you to tell yours? No, I'd love to hear. I'll also tell you as a pit, you know, it was a pivotal moment for me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it that was the first time I ever told the story about my mother being a Holocaust survivor. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, please tell me your perspective. Okay, okay, so from my perspective, um. Michelle and I were working very closely together at the time to give some context for listeners. And, uh, you know, you were looking to grow the business and get more uh, speaking gigs for yourself. And, you know, some of those are, are going to turn out to be real wins and some of them aren't. You're taking, you know, taking agreements to not always totally know all the details about them. So for this particular event, we show up and... On the surface, the event, like I'll just call a spade a spade. It looked like a real dud. <laughs> it was in a, um, like out, outside of the city in, I don't know, maybe a a school or something. You know, you've, you we walk into the space where Michelle's going to be giving his talk. There's hardly anybody there. They've got these old kind of rickety seats. Um, and it it feels empty and and cold. Some people start to shuffle in, but this is by no means the like, you know, when, as a speaker, you, you know, we imagine these like big shiny stages for ourselves and, you know, we want to feel like, oh, this is going to be really impactful and exciting, but, but it wasn't right at, at best. It's, it's like a kind of a hum humble sort of rustic setting, but more and more people start to come in and eventually, you know, it's not a huge crowd, but a little crowd assembles. And I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you started to give the original speech you had prepared and it just 
it just was not resonating. It you weren't feeling it. The people who were there weren't feeling it. Um, and again, this was an event that was supposed to be for people who were new to Canada. So I think it was supposed to be maybe helping them. Um, I don't know, develop the the businesses that they were embarking on or brands or so on. And so there was like this moment for you on the stage that I observed where it was like the curtain just dropped the, the whatever wall you were kind of holding between yourself and the audience just came down. And it was like, you know, this moment of, of basically sort of throwing away the speaking notes and you told this, the story or a version of it that you, that you told at the beginning, but with a bit more detail about your mother's journey and how your mom, your mom went through so much through the Holocaust, but then also, you know, getting, getting to Paris, coming to Canada, starting a life for herself, having a family and really wanting you, wanting her, her kids, you and, and your brother to be able to just be themselves and follow who they were, to follow that, um, to get to, to live their life as themselves. And you said something to the extent of, as I remember it, like, you know, that's what I want for, for you here today. Like everybody who is here, you know, you're, you're here to do that in your own way. And at the end of the speech, I mean, people were crying and they started telling their own stories. I still remember a few of them. It's like that honesty and vulnerability that you showed, the people in the audience in turn felt like there was a kind of space for them and they felt seen and there was room for, for discussion and like much more than some type of inspirational or motivational speech, this really connected to what they were there to do and, and kind of what they needed in the moment, which, which was like what everybody needs to feel seen and, and be kind of supported and encouraged on their journey. And so I left that day um, and, you know, like we were a little business at the time and as... <laughs> Neither of us were probably making very much money. I definitely, definitely wasn't. And you didn't get paid very much for that speech. And you gave me, I don't know what it was. Like, you, I just remember you handed me, like, they paid you in cash, you know, probably. And you paid me, like, half of it to be, like, here. Like, thanks for just being here and supporting me through it. And um, to me, I, I was, like... I'm not sure how much I quite realized it at the time, but I think there was a part of me that was like, this is what storytelling is. This is what storytelling can do. And this is what happens when we are willing to let down our guard and be vulnerable and be ourselves and show our show up as our authentic self. And also to really connect with people, to use storytelling as an experience to really connect with people and not just try to put on some bright and shiny front or polish about who we are. Um, and I think that really went on to influence the work I try to do, why I try to do it, why I do it. 
and what I love about it. And also what I, how I try and coach um, and help people do the same. Your recollection of that is absolutely as vivid as mine. There are just a few minor details. Like I don't remember getting paid anything. <laughs> <laughs> you probably just paid me out of your own pocket. <laughs> You probably just gave me whatever cash you had in your wallet. Yeah, I, I don't. Anyway, um, I remember also exactly like you being struck by how powerful that was, mm. and and I knew it. And I I was not prepared. I mean, I was prepared to tell that story because I remember sitting at the dining room table about a week before all of a sudden panicking. I said, you know, these people, they don't look like me. They don't have accent. They don't have the, the same accent as I do. They don't have names that people can pronounce. They don't have, they don't have names on their, on their curriculum uh, CV that, that people would recognize like, what right do I have to tell them anything? It was, it was about personal branding. Right, How can okay. I help them? you know, stand out and get a job or, and, and, and it was my wife who said, Michelle, tell them the story about your parents and how they came to this country. And so I, I, I sort of mapped out what I was going to say, but I wasn't sure I, I had the courage mm. to say it. I really didn't. Um, but I think it's, it's, you, you really, you know, nailed it when you said, I just felt that it, they were being extremely polite and extremely attentive and, and they wanted to learn so badly. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, you know, they were nodding and they were like one of the most polite audiences I've ever spoken to. And, uh, and just at, at at one point, I just took a deep breath and I said, "Okay, this is it. I'm I got to tell this story." Do you remember what it was that made you that made you think that? Like, there was there something that made you go, "I gotta, I just got to do it." Yeah, I remember. I remember. Well, I remember the feeling that I had, and just thinking that it. I felt a little bit like a like a sham or charlatan trying to tell them something like I was better than them. Right. And, uh, and looking at their faces, like it's okay for you, but how am I going to use this stuff? Mm -hmm. And I'll never, ever forget. A woman came up to me afterward I think you were there. You probably witnessed this. Mm -hmm. And she had, her face was wet. She was tears were streaming down. She gave me the hardest, strongest hug I think I've ever had in my life. And, uh, and she said, I hope in 30 years, my children say this about me. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you saying that, yeah, I, I was there for for these reactions, and you telling me that, 
reminds me also of something else, which was, it felt like, I don't know, when you're privileged to get a feeling like, this is why I'm doing it. You know, like it's hard. Running your own business is hard. Trying to, um, you know, go a, go a different way is often hard. Doing your own thing, putting your hand up to be like, yeah, I've got something to offer. I'll take the stage. I'll try something new is often hard. And when you have those, those kinds of moments, it's like, what more could I ask for? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I had been a quote unquote professional speaker for good 10 years before that. Mm-hmm. But I, I went home thinking this is perhaps the first time I ever gave a really a good talk. Mm. Like a, a meaningful one, something that actually made a difference in people's lives. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, it's, it's amazing. And I'm, but thank you for sharing all of that too. And, and uh, just recalling it is so, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of emotional. It's, um, it's, it's lovely though, to, to remember that with you. And I think to share that um, because I, I so often I am continuing to encourage my clients to, you know, it doesn't have to be like, I do want to make make it clear for a lot of folks, they think, oh, well, if I'm going to tell this vulnerable story or impactful story, it's got to be like full trauma overload. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I have to have something super dramatic or super traumatic, or I have to relive something really difficult. Um, and, you know, that's not always the case. It might be something that is, um, you know, much, much closer to the surface or easier for you to talk about or whatever. But but nonetheless, I find even uh, leaders who've done a lot, accomplished a lot, have a lot behind them, are still often hesitant to mention almost any personal detail about themselves. Um, they think it will sound like... Not professional. <laughs> yeah, that for sure. Or also like more self-involved or I just love to hear myself talk. No, I want it to be about them. And I think this story is a good example of like, in that moment, sharing something more personal was actually the more selfless thing for you to do. It opened things up. It opened up an opportunity for you to connect with each other. Um, this is what something that I'm just often trying to convey. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, I can, if we want to go back to storytelling, what your describing is is one of the absolute most fundamental tenets of storytelling which is the more personal the story the more universal the message mm. yeah the more personal the story the more universal the message because deep down we really are all the same right and we do have the same fears i mean not obviously not 100% but you know we're 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 human yeah i also find the sort of the reverse is is true is true like 
the more, not universal, but more generic the story, mm-hmm. the less personal it feels to the reader. Like if you're just giving me the. Right. Without. Know, yeah. 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 The sort of top, uh, top notes and you're not giving me any of the details or any of the like, you know, kind of inner inner guts of the story, yeah. then it, it's kind of meaningless to me. It's not it's not really going to connect. Right. And that's why, you know, like how many movies and books do you read uh, uh, that are about all the other, all the, there are like what, maybe seven, 10 basic themes. And one of them is being the outsider. One of them is the rags to riches. One of them is a, you know, belief in yourself. One of the, 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 the. those are all the, the generic stories and people, when you ask people about to, to dig deeper into it, say, well, I'd want to talk about that. That's like, that's right. the, no, but that's those details so the generic or the universal that it's the universal it's the universal but the details are what make your story unique mm. no there are a lot of people who could talk about the same story as i did just on the surface and you do as well which is about being the outsider being uncomfortable being you know ashamed or not ashamed mm-hmm. or insecure about revealing some insecurity vulnerability or you know whether it's being shy or some secret or whatever mm-hmm. those you know those are we all have those right yeah but and and that's it connects on that point but without the detail of what makes how i got past it it just doesn't have any relevance right well and like you know if you could if you said um uh you know well i used to be kind of shy and quiet but i'm not anymore now i'm bold and brave I'd be like okay <laughs> so what <laughs> but when i hear details that allow me to imagine the the person um what they're going through then there's so many more little dots that i can connect to even if it's not exactly the same and the for for listeners who aren't aren't familiar. So Michelle's alluding also to the speech that I gave at, at Mo Mondays. Um, I think I'll probably 2010-ish. Um, that speech I talked about growing up with a heart condition and my personal journey towards self-acceptance, essentially, which then I, I wound up using as a great kind of um, calling card for what I do, because it's it's why I call my business storytelling with heart. It's a pun. Um, you know, it's, yes, it's storytelling with what we might call heart of, um, you know, of, of like a kind of human connection and, and care, but it's also um, about my, my own literal heart. So when I told that story, I mean, I'm talking about a very specific situation of, you know, growing up with a heart condition, feeling ashamed about it, and eventually getting a pacemaker and learning to talk about it. I mean, I think on that particular day, maybe there were some people who came up to me, maybe a couple who said, oh, you know, my daughter has a heart condition and it resonates or something. There might have been a couple people that could resonate to the actual thing. But mostly people came up and resonated with the idea that like, I know what it's like to have 
a secret or to carry shame or to go on a journey towards self-acceptance. That's the part they connected with. Um, but without telling those personal details, there is no story. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but you actually didn't want to tell that story at first. Um. Yeah, I know. I think I did because what happened was you said, hey, like, why don't you come on and talk about boxing? Mm-hmm. And I said, um, actually, I think I would like to tell the story about my heart. But you didn't, you were like, what story? Because I had kept it, in fact, a secret for I so long. I had zero idea. Yeah. But you, I, I just remember having that conversation with you outside of that coffee house. Yeah. I remember where it was on the Broadview? Yeah. Yeah. And what did you say? Was I was I still hesitant? Was I on fence? Yeah, I think you were you were hesitant about how much detail you were going to put into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and I remember very clearly encouraging you to, or or helping you see. I think that that's where that's where the value of the story is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I believe that, and. Actually, I'm going to use this to segue to something else that I wanted to talk to you about, which which is feedback and and mentoring and that kind of um, those kinds of exchanges. So, just before we started recording on this call, I was reminding Michelle um, that I I while working with you, I recall you spending a lot of time actually teaching me. So if we were working on an ad or a piece, like a piece of copy or a piece of content, you know, I would write something and you would edit it, but then you would go over it with me and you would not only, you know, kind of show me what you changed or what needed work, but you'd explain it to me. So you'd explain concepts. Here's why we would do this. Here's why you should never say this. Um, And I think that's something that uh, is really valuable for a lot of leaders and, and managers in particular, or people who are in charge of other creatives, whether they're contractors or whoever you're working with, if you're trying to bring somebody up to speed and produce better work within your organization or, or somebody you collaborate with, that there's real value in working together through the process of multiple drafts and teaching concepts more than say just dumping in in edits. I would say that's one of a variety of of kind of ways that you provided what I see as as mentorship because part part of it too was experiences like being at the new Canadians event and part of it was also just giving me experience of saying like okay, take this and run with it. Um I'm curious as to what, like looking back, was that, was that deliberate or is it just something that happened? Um, kind of a little bit of both. Um, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have already huge respect for your intellect and the way you think through things. So uh, I think half of it was I really wanted you 
to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other half was also, what can I learn about why you wrote it this way? Because mm-hmm. I want to, because maybe there's something here that I can learn from you. Right. And so I can't do that if I'm just giving you my notes without asking you why did what was in your head when you did this? There's mm-hmm. always that little question mark for me that says, oh, well, maybe I missed it. Maybe there's right. a good reason why you did this. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a really a great point and something that uh I don't know, as you're saying this, I'm like, I need to remember to do this and not just tell people, I changed your work, here's why, but to really investigate what's the other side of it, too. As part of this, too, or, or maybe, you know, a slight tangent, um, you, so I sent out an email newsletter, but uh, this will be a little bit behind when the podcast comes out, but before uh, before having this conversation today, my newsletter was about how to give feedback. And and you wrote me saying, um, or it was how to ask for feedback, excuse me. And then you wrote me back and said, oh, you know, you should talk about how to give feedback. And you said, most people don't have a clue. They think, they tell you what they think other people would say and what your expectation should be when giving feedback. Because most people expect you to take their feedback like gospel and it isn't. Can you expand on that? <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> can you can you tell I feel strongly about this? It's very succinct. Yeah, well, you know, I, I know that I've I've asked for feedback many times and um and and, and I, it's a pet peeve of mine. People will give me their feedback and they don't give me the feedback according to how it lands with them. They they turn into marketing experts and they give me advice on how they think other people would read it. <laughs> right. And, and and I don't, I'm sorry. I don't think most people are qualified to do that. Not unless you've got tons and tons of research data to back it up. <laughs> so all I'm asking for is how does this land on you? Mm-hmm. Just how does this land on you? I want to know how how you, I want you to dig into your own visceral response to this. That's all I want. And then I'm going to put it together with others, other responses that I get. Mm-hmm. And that leads me to my second pet peeve. People give me feedback and then they get annoyed if I don't take it exactly. What? But I'm sorry, you're, a, you're one data point. And you may, you know, you're right for you, hmm. and it may not be what I want. You know, I'll, there's there's a, a little story behind this. And that's when I'm first getting into advertising. Like, we're talking in the 1980s, a long <laughs> time ago. <laughs> and uh, one of the ways you got into an ad- agency was you would put a a, a book together of mock ads and you'd cart that around and you wouldn't you wouldn't be asking for a job but you'd be calling creative directors around the city and you say hey I'd love to I'd love you to take a look at my book and give me advice mm-hmm. maybe at the end they'd give you a job too um but I so I did that I had a a, a portfolio hard mm-hmm. you know physical portfolio not like today and I'd cart it around 
And I would go into one. I, I remember very distinctly going into one and they'd look through my ads that I made up or modified from another one. And, uh, and, and they'd stop on page four and they'd say, they said, this, this one's really good. This, this one shows that you, you know, you, you know how to put an idea down. Uh, the rest, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have them. Uh, they kind of like lower the quality of your overall portfolio. And they'd explain to me, and I'm very appreciative, and I'd go to the next ad agency, the next creative director, and they'd flip through the pages, and they'd stop on page six. Say, this is really good. The rest, yeah. eh, you know. And like you do that 10 times, and you realize that, yeah. We're all full of it. Yeah. And and they're just opinions. And there's a a, a kernel of truth in, in everybody's comments. And you got to look for that. Right. right. But given that, you know, I talk to 10 experts and I get 12 opinions. Um, it really, really, really sensitized me to the importance of developing my own critical thinking about what I do. Mm -hmm. I want I want to understand why this works and why I believe this to be better than that and if I could it's not just a hunch if I could rationalize it by the way this this is this has been an extremely important skill that I've taken into presentation sales presentations and mm -hmm. creative presentations I could not only show what I did but explain what how I got there Yes. And and I think that's an extremely important thing, but it also made me become a student of my own work. Mm -hmm. So yes, I listen to everybody. I really do. But I don't take anybody's word mm -hmm. as the yeah. absolute and I you know and and I I think we should all be looking at feedback like that. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, especially for folks who uh, want to, you know, write and publish more, put more of their thoughts and ideas out there on a regular basis. Um, because I think especially when you're maybe newer to it, or you have, you just have less stuff in the portfolio period, even if that portfolio is, you know, a blog, an email newsletter, or social media content, or whatever it is that you're creating. Um there's a great, uh, can be a real heightened sensitivity to any, you know, what are people going to think and any sort of feedback that you get. And I, I also see people making the mistake very quickly, trying to learn from any data points and then make decisions based on that. Oh, well, you know, I've written five email newsletters and, you know, this one did better than this one. So I should change what I'm doing to be more like that one. When you don't actually know yet, and I think to be able to see it as a more longer term game of really getting to know your own, uh, like you said, your own critical thinking around it and, and maybe instincts to some degree as well. Like, yes, being able to take feedback, but also have a core of yourself that is like content or co confident with the approach that you're taking. Does that make sense to you? Um, I, I say it makes sense and always be open 
to learning more about that core. Mm. There's always another layer to unpack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I just mixed metaphors. <laughs> <but anyway. laughs> I mean, I, Michelle, there's so much that I would, I would love to continue this conversation. Um, there's so much more that we could continue to, to discuss. I, want to circle back to one thing because I feel that I promised it earlier in the discussion when you mentioned an elevator. So (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that you taught me early on was about this idea of elevator pitches, but you challenged the notion that everybody should have an elevator pitch and rather, rather than have a canned explanation of what you do that you can share within 20 seconds that you should have an understanding of your core message and kind of set of stories that you can tell or questions that you can ask um, as a, as a a more effective way to talk about what you do. But Mm -hmm. I feel the elevator pitch is one of these ideas that has is still around and still kind of generally, I think recognized and understood. Um, so can, t- can you tell me your approach to the whole elevator pitch and your thoughts on it today? Um, there are two levels of the elevator pitch or just purely from a format point of view. Uh, we know what an elevator pitch sounds like. And so if you give me the what you think is the best elevator pitch in the world, uh, but it sounds like the same format template as everybody else, then I'm not even going to be hearing. I say, oh yeah, that's an elevator pitch. How quickly can I get off this elevator? Because it's an elevator pitch. (laughs) (laughs) I've trapped an elevator with this guy. (laughs) Yeah. And and this another point about the elevator pitch is that you know most people would would uh, the goal is to encapsulate everything you do in 30 or 60 seconds. And when you do that, that when you go through that process, you pretty much have no choice but to generalize mm. and create and give an overview. But the higher up you go in terms of giving the overview, the less differentiated you become, the more you are like everybody else. And so, so the idea that I hit on a long, long time ago, is that rather than try to explain everything in one summary, what really we should be doing is looking for the trigger that will make someone say, tell me more. Mm -hmm. And the trigger very often is do you experience this symptom? Mm-hmm. And I said that very deliberately. It's not, do you have this core pain? Right. Because A, you haven't, I haven't earned the right to ask them at that level yet. And they might not even have done that work to figure what the core pain is. Right. But most people would readily, you know, does it itch over here? Yeah. You know, I, always wondered about that you know and then you're again this comes back you know exactly what i was talking about earlier but in a different context 
where I talk about your own th- understanding, your own thought process, and how you got something. It's the same. If you can explain the links and connect the dots between this symptom and this deeper problem, not in the elevator, but if you can understand that, but in the elevator, all you want to do is do you, do you experience a symptom? So yeah, I always wondered about that. Well, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, and I help force people not have that richiest, <laughs> richiest, itchy wrist syndrome itchy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I talk about instead of um, uh, elevator pitches, I talk about a provocative impact statements and provocative questions, which I, I think I developed that when when you, we were working together. Yeah. Uh, impact statements and provocative questions. Provocative question is really a simple question like, do you have this symptom? That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And an impact statement, is, you, know, you, you know, you talk about when you coach somebody and you notice their face changes. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is you just said had an impact. And we'd love it if they were really demonstrative and and obvious, but most of the time we're not. So we have to become real experts at reading the human face. Mm -hmm. What did I just say? And the flip side of that is when you do that, you also also become a lot more aware of when their eyes glaze over. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's the same skill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So stop whatever you know, path I was going down that one and mm-hmm. try something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just that one thing about becoming a student of what impact we have on other people, that's the, that's the re when you go to a networking mm-hmm. event, that's the research you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is such a great, such a great reminder and, and message and lesson for folks too, because I, I do also see people if they're say working on their, their web copy or their description about what they do, and it's so very easy for them to become obsessed with tinkering, with just getting just the right words in the right place. But the reality is, this work is an evolving process led by curiosity and constantly engaging with other people as you said how do we like interacting with people and seeing what works and what resonates and and what doesn't and where we where where else we need to explore or dig deeper and trying different things and and tightening in or leaning into the things that do work and, and do seem to be effective and that's an ongoing process and i think a wonderful one i think that's what it's all about it's all of life is a process of discovery. Yeah. So, and and going back to feedback, I always, uh, when somebody gives me feedback, what's in the back of my mind is whatever feedback you give me is more revealing about you mm-hmm. and your own baggage and filters and biases and all of the stuff that you bring than it is about this work. And really, that's what I want to understand. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't make it irrelevant. It's what you're actually trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. If I can just 
ask before we go, I mean, when you look back, what are some of the, some of the things that you're really proud of, or is there a moment that was, or something that comes to mind that was satisfying or rewarding for you in your, in your career? Well, that, that you, you brought up that conference for new Canadians and that is huge. Um, not only because I learned so much coming out of it about what's important and the power of personal storytelling, uh, but it also demonstrated that I did have the courage to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was, I'm very, very proud of that. I'm very proud of, of the, of, of having met all the people and I've learned from, and, and, and I include you in that group. Uh, I just, um, and everything that I've done is seems to be everything that I did yesterday is preparation for what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. And everything I'm doing today is preparation that for everything I'm going to do tomorrow. And that's, that's how I, that's how I see things. Yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful way to, to look at it. I love and that. I'm, and yeah. appreciate that. I'm really excited about, um, how I'm bringing the storytelling concepts and the whole speaking into my music now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, really exciting. Curiosity drives everything. Let's just end there. Curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never stop, never stop being curious. And and you certainly have done that with, um, by allowing yourself as well to explore these different storytelling avenues and exploring that now with your music and allowing it to take you in a new direction. So there's always more to be curious about. Well, thank you, Michelle. This has been wonderful. Um, such a great conversation. I really enjoyed the walk down memory lane as well as all the, some of these concepts that, that we got to discuss as well. And just kind of getting your, your take and perspective on things has been really wonderful. So Thank you for joining me for this. Thank you for inviting me, Camille. Always, always. Thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camilledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter, where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, your story matters.